in and grab a seat. We're going to jump right back in. It, uh, we've got about half an hour. So, I'm not sure what we should talk about. Um, this afternoon, what I want to look at is, is uh, well, let me tell you what, let me, let me share, share something with you, and we'll just kind of move into that, and we'll figure it out. Um, back in, it would have been 19, or 2000, and uh, probably 2009, we'd had this move of God come through our church. Uh, we had been contending for revival. We'd had different moves over the years, but this one was unlike any other. Uh, it was just night after night after night of the thick presence of God would come in and people were, would come in and get healed and delivered and uh, people were coming from all over the country. It was just crazy. Uh, and it was, it was glorious. And, and it began to lift. I alluded to that yesterday, talked about what, during that season. Uh, and we, we had developed a relationship with a, uh, an apostolic leader out of the Philippines, Paul Yadao. And uh, Paul is one of our external overseers now, wonderful man of God, very, you know, tremendous revelatory teacher, uh, has a network of churches in the Philippines and really around the globe. They're planting churches all over. Wonderful man of God. And uh, he is a son of, spiritual son of Leif Hetland, and it's uh, just an amazing story, just their relationship and how that all came about. Uh, but So we had him in, and, and uh, when he came, it was like a bomb went off, some of the things he brought to us. Uh, one, of, one of the things he would do a lot of teaching on was soaking, you know, where you just put on some worship music and lay before the Lord and just soak in His presence. And uh, For me, soaking usually doesn't work. That's more snorking. I snore and soak, you know. And, uh, and then I'll burst out in tongues lest someone thinks I would, you know, try to save it, you know, redeem it. And uh, so Paul is teaching on soaking. And uh, I am laying there on our platform, and I felt something walk by me, this presence walk by me through the altar and up the eastern aisle of our church. And I knew it was, there was grace for unity. It was the strangest thing. I, I jumped up and I said, it's grace for unity, grace for unity. And Paul says, and the dew of Hermon will be released. You know, like, whatever. <laughs> he just yells that out, and I didn't catch it. Uh, Interestingly enough, this is a side note. A couple of years later, we're, do, we're, having, we're holding a conference, and uh, Bill and Carol do, and uh, Gary and Kathy Oates are in. They're doing a, a conference for us, and Kathy Oates gets up, and she says, whenever I come and speak at a conference, uh, she said, I always ask the Lord about the angel assigned to that church. And uh, she said, so she starts to share, but just before that, I'm standing on the front row, and one of our elders comes up. We had a lot of homeless people coming to our church at the time. And uh, this one guy, he would, he would always see angels. At least that's what he said. You know, I didn't know. He'd be out in the parking lot, pastor, I saw three angels, you know, he'd just smoking on a cigarette, telling me, and I'm thinking, oh, that's nice, you know, but to be honest, in my heart, I was kind of patronizing, you know, thinking, yeah, whatever, pal. But I didn't say that. I was just very affirming to him. Well, he came up to one of our elders. He said, hey, man, saw two angels up on the platform. There's a big warrior-looking one, and it's protecting the shorter one. It's got a red garland and a red sash and explains all that what it looks like, you know. And so our elder comes up, hey, pastor, you know, you know that guy? Yeah, I know. And I mean, yeah, that guy, yeah. He, uh, 
he was, this is what he saw, and he, tell, he describes it. So, so then we start the service, a little bit of worship, and Kathy Oates comes up, and she says, whenever I come to, to a church, I always ask the Lord about the angel at that church. She said, and what's interesting is there's two of them here this morning, and she points right where the homeless guy sat. And he, she said, there's a big warrior angel standing there, and it's protecting a smaller angel that has a red sash, and it describes it to the T, you know. I'm like, ooh. I'm like, forgive me, Jesus, forgive me. You know? Oh, me of little faith, you know. And, uh, but here's what she said. She said that smaller angel is an angel that's here to enforce unity in this house. And that's what I felt walked by me. I knew it was an angel, and I knew it was for unity. Well, I mean, that was, that was neat, and I just kind of forgot about it. Well, then, the next year, Paul Yadal comes, and he's teaching on soaking again. And I'm up front, and I'm snorking. Yeah. And uh, so I'd wake up, and I'd walk around and speak in tongues so I wouldn't fall asleep. And so I went out to the lobby of our church, and we own 38 acres there in Ankeny, beautiful land. And uh, I went out, and I, look, I stood out there, and I was looking at the land, and I went into this vision all of a sudden, and I saw our land, and it was like this gold bowl. It was like a glass bowl was put over it. And this, this golden dome and this oil just poured over it. And it was this glory dome. And the Lord spoke a couple of things to me. And then he said, and the dew of Hermon will be released. And I was excited by what I saw. But frankly, I was a little disappointed by what he said. So I went into the men's room, it was right next to that window, and I, I don't know why I did this, but I leaned in the mirror and looked at myself, and I said, do? I, like, I'm talking to the Lord, but I'm looking, I said, do? Lord, why do? I mean, I want outpourings. I want rivers. You know, power. Do? Sounds kind of boring. I did. I said, Lord, what's the deal? Why, why do? And this is what he said to me. He said, it's my non-disruptive way of nourishing the land. And I tell you, when he said that, it was like, oh, hallelujah. Because we had just that previous year been through revival. And frankly, it was exhausting. My wife and I, months later, would sit, we'd be sitting in the living room. I'd look at her, she'd look at me, and I'd say, I'm still tired. She'd say, me too. I mean, it was exhausting. The, the schedule to, to revival that... Man, the demands and every, you know, everybody wants in on it. and You've got to keep the system going. And, and it was just exhausting. So when the Lord said that do is the non-disruptive way in which he nourishes the land, he had my attention. And then he said this to me. He said, outpourings were made necessary by the fall. And of course I thought, yeah, you know what? It never rained until sin came in the world. Prior to that, the land was nourished by these internal caverns under the ground that would emit a mist and that was called paradise. And so what I was wanting was, I wanted these outpourings, and in, in actuality, it's an inferior expression of what the dew offers. And so, you see throughout Scripture this analogy, water, as a picture of the Spirit. You know, we have the wells of salvation, Isaiah talks about. We drink from the well of salvation. Then in John chapter 7, there's, in the baptism of the Spirit, there's a river that is released from us. We become a source of supply. 
Jesus said, all are thirsty, come, drink, and out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Then John adds, and of the, by this he was speaking of the Spirit that was not yet given. So we have wells of salvation. We have rivers from the outpouring of the Spirit upon us, the baptism. And then we have these outpourings we call revival. But I had never had a grid work for this fourth, and I would argue superior expression of the life and the Spirit for a body that is, the dew of Hermon. Psalm 133. And so that is the superior expression that God wants to invite us into. Now, we're always going to need outpourings from time to time because we live in a fallen world. But we do need to understand that that was not God's original plan. God's original plan was these internal caverns under the ground would emit a mist and it would keep things well watered. And so that took me on a journey, and I began to ask the Lord about this Psalm 133 and just read it over and over and over and over. And you're familiar with it. It's a very short psalm. How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity together. It is like the oil that flows down the beard, Aaron's beard, to the hem or the edge of the collar of his garment, depending on what translation. It, it gets to his garment. Some translate it as the upper some translators lower. I like the lower one. You know, that's a lot of oil. <laughs> Go through that big old hairy beard, make it all the way to the hem. You know, that's some greasy dude. When I, when I was, when I was in eighth grade, I went to a very small school. We had fourteen kids in my graduating class, seven boys and seven girls. And uh, then my dad took a church, and some girl is still single, I guess, because then they had only six boys and seven girls. But uh, we were. I was in this play, Bye Bye Birdie. You guys remember that? the movie Bye Bye Birdie. So we're getting ready. My older brother said, we got to get your hair slicked back. He took a handful of lard, poof, hit me in the head with it and rubbed it in. I mean, seriously, I scrubbed my hair like 14 times with dish soap. It was still just, I mean, it was so greasy. And I always think of that. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that's what comes to my mind when I think of the oil on Aaron's beard. So here's what it says it gives two analogies of this dynamic. What happens? How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell in unity together. First, it's like the oil that flows down Aaron's beard, even to the hem of his garment. And the other, it's as if the dew of Mount Hermon would fall on Mount Zion. There, the Lord commands his blessing. So he gives us two illustrations. And I think a strong argument can be made for Psalm 133 being the Old Testament version of Ephesians chapter 4. That there is a horizontal flow and there's a vertical flow. And so the oil flowed down Aaron's beard. It got, Aaron was anointed and when you get, my, my dad used to tell us when we were kids, he'd say, listen guys, when you're in church, when God starts to move up at the altar, he said, get up there. He said, you don't need to understand what's going on. He said, I just want you in that environment. And it was Pastor Tucker was our pastor. We'd have these Holy Ghost services on Sunday night. So we'd just go in and stand there and people, poof, 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 you know, all this crazy stuff. We'd just stand there and just, my dad said, I want you to be familiar with that environment. I'm so grateful for that. There's this thing of getting under what God is doing. But you've got to be under, you've got to be in alignment to catch the flow. And so when you honor what's on a man or woman's life, we talked about it earlier, when you're honoring what's on their life, you can receive from that flow. And none of us are 
There's not a person in this room that is in some kind of weird hero worship that thinks that people, just because they can preach or move in the Spirit, are perfect. We're not talking about that. But we are saying that I'm going to honor the gift because I recognize that God's going to flow through that. And we honor that system, if you will, that says, I'm going to, get, I'm going to honor the gift on someone's life. And you get to receive from that. And that's that, that flow that flows down on Aaron's beard, even to the hem of his garments. It's, it goes back to Ephesians 4, that five-fold ministry. But then he gives this other illustration. He said, it's as if the dew of Mount Hermon would fall on Mount Zion. And that just so intrigued me. I kept asking the Lord about that and asking the Lord about that and asking the Lord. For weeks, I just kept saying, Lord, what does this mean? And one day I was in the sanctuary laying on the platform just praying and I was asking the Lord. And all of a sudden, bing, duh. Because if you look at the geography, Mount Hermon and Mount Zion are too far apart for that transfer of the dew to happen. But what he says was, is that when you dwell in unity together, it's as if the dew of Mount Hermon falls on Mount Zion. Some of you know Andre Brooks. We're, we're tight partners in crime. He pastors a church in Des Moines. And I love that man. And uh, we always say to each other, hey, when it rains on you, we get wet. Because we're in unity. When you're in unity, it's as if what happens in one place will happen to you. And so when we're in unity with people, we're, we're, when we're tied in together, we're invested together. See, I don't need to get... I, last night, some of you really got touched. I, I, the Lord really did minister to me. I was just in receiving mode, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't on the floor laughing hilariously. The Lord, there's just this peace that the Lord was ministering to me. I just, I just soaked it in. But I didn't need the manifestation or the blessing that you got because, like Jade, Jade really got touched. I don't need Jade's blessing because I have Jade. So I get both. When I'm in relationship with her and I honor what's on her life, when she gets blessed, I get wet. When it rains on Mount Hermon, it, gets, it touches Mount Zion. And there's this exchange that we can have that when we really are pulling for one another, that when we live in unity together, and it undermines that competitiveness and that jealousy that so often rears its head in spiritual circles. That, oh, I've got to be the one, and if you're going to prophesy, I'm going to prophesy louder. I mean, that, there's no room for that stuff. That I, I, want to, I want to pull for you to get blessed, because when you do, I do. When, when you're, and so when we're in this thing together, that there is a release of the dew of Hermon. You see, in, in, the, New, in the, uh, the Old Testament, in, in Eden, there were these underground caverns full of water. Matter of fact, when the flood happened, it said that the deep burst open and it shot geysers into the air and it broke the heavens open. And so what there was is there's these underground caverns. And so what we need to do is we need to learn to live in honor and unity together. When I can honor what you carry, when I can honor that, I access what you have. And it's going to add to the environment. I don't need... Andre Brooks' anointing. That man's anointed. I mean, he is a, he is a wild man, I'm telling you. I, I got some crazy stories about that guy. There was a while back, he was, he was in a uh, parent-teacher's uh, meeting for one of his grandkids. 
And uh, he said, I'm standing there, and I look over, and this lady walks in. He said, I saw suicide over her. She got up and walked out of the room. So you got to know Andre. He doesn't go up and say, hey, could I talk to you? He just opens the door into the hallway and stare, points at her. You will not commit suicide. Ah! She starts weeping, goes through deliverance. She already had the suicide note written at home. I mean, he's a crazy man. I love that guy, man. And because I have him, I have his anointing. I have access to that. I get to partner with that, and I honor that on his life. And we need to understand the importance of this. When we really do begin to see each other through the lens of heaven and to honor the gifting upon one another, then there's a synergy that happens that we can enjoy what's on that person's life. I believe what the Lord really wants to do is create cultures, church cultures where we really are pulling for one another. And we really do. Let's put it this way, that if you want to be a prophetic people, you know what one of the primary manifestations of being a prophetic people, a prophetic church is? That you see the best in one another. That you treat one another by the way that you're becoming. I keep record of the prophetic words spoken over my life because I want to view myself through heaven's lens. I want to agree with heaven. I don't want to, I don't want to have thoughts in my head that are contrary to what God is saying about me. But I want to go a step beyond that. There, I view the people in our church through their prophetic words. I'm not just keeping my own journal. I'm keeping record of their words so that I can then begin to treat them according to what the Lord said about them. And I'll remind them, hey, remember what the Lord said about you? Remember what Bob Hazlett said last time he was here when he prophesied? You remember what so-and-so said? That's who you are. I remind them because as a prophetic people, I need to hold them, I, I need to hold them accountable to what God is saying about them. And it brings us up. And so God has, there are these hidden reserves in this room right here. There are giftings and callings in every one of us that are just lying, waiting to be tapped. And so we need to be a prophetic people and put a demand on those gifts within one another. That we're expecting that to happen. Often the answer to your problem sits next to you in church on Sunday. And we're crying out to God for a breakthrough when the person, your breakthrough is drinking coffee right next to you. You look at Luke chapter, I want to say it's chapter 4, where Jesus, he comes to his hometown, sits down in the synagogue, opens up the scroll. You've got to know the scroll to find a passage in one of those big honkers. Jesus knew the word. He just unrolls it. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me. He starts reading that and it says, there was grace released in the room. And they all spoke well of him. They were blown away. Listen to what he's saying. This is 400 years of silence and all of a sudden, grace was released from the lips of the word of the Lord, the living word. And they were all blown away. There was a shift in the atmosphere. They could pick up on it. They could sense it. It said they all spoke well of him until some knucklehead said, and this Joe's boy, we knew him when he was little. And it shut down the anointing. And Jesus said a prophet is without honor in his hometown. 
There is a test for churches to go through that if we can beat the curve on this thing, we can break into the do and no longer be so dependent upon outpourings. And that is the test of familiarity. It is hard to honor familiarity. I mean, okay, let me just be honest. I come in town here, and I've, you know, I, I preach a lot, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring out the stuff that I think is really going to hit home with you guys, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring my best stuff. What do they call an expert? Someone that drives more than 100 miles to tell you about something? You know, I'm not an expert at home. It's easy to honor a mystery when you don't know the backstory. But it's a whole other thing to honor familiarity when you run together and you can still hold people in high esteem. It's one thing to travel and go preach somewhere and, oh, that, that was really good. It's another thing when you're living with those people day in and day out and they still can honor you. And that's, that speaks better of them. Not, that's not, it's not speaking of the person being honored. It's speaking of the people that are doing the honoring that they've beat the curve and that they honor familiarity. That familiarity stopped the anointing that Jesus was releasing there. And so we need to learn to really honor the gifts and callings among us. And when we do, what we're doing is we're, there are hidden caverns of the anointing that we can access in those people and it creates that hot atmosphere of the greenhouse effect where in those environments, people are called higher just by the relationships. People don't tolerate you being who you used to be. They're keeping track of your prophetic words and they're calling you higher. And you're honored and you're called into that. That's what God's looking for. That's the do of Hermon. So we have wells of salvation. We have rivers of living water and a baptism. That's great. We have outpourings. Those are, that's phenomenal. Pray for rain and the time for rain. Those are, those are valid scriptures. But I'm telling you, the superior expression is the do of Hermon. Where we learn we're no longer dependent on outpouring. See, when we had that outpouring, it was so exhausting. If, if you and I, if it was really dry here, maybe we'd gone a year without rain, and all of a sudden we had an outpouring, even though we'd be like, yes, this is awesome. We, find, we would still wait, hoping it would stop long enough to get in our car. Why? Because rain is disruptive. It's like everything comes to a halt. It's like okay, there could be a little break. We're appreciative of the rain, but if it just stopped, I'd get in the car. Revival is tremendously disruptive. But it comes to bring things back to life. God doesn't want us to keep backslide, revive, backslide, revive. He wants us to learn to live in a, an atmosphere where we create a greenhouse effect where there's that hot, moist atmosphere of putting a demand on one another. Where there really is that people are coming into their own and we're honoring the gifts and callings that they're carrying. And that creates that, that greenhouse, that the dew of Hermon. And we really are invested in one another because your breakthrough becomes my breakthrough. And the Lord commands His blessing there. Man, I, I want to 
I want to beat the curve. I think God can create people who honor one another and overlook their other people's weaknesses. We all know our strengths and weaknesses when we hang with people. But to be able to say, I'm going to cover your weakness. I'm going to, I'm going to fill in your weakness with my strength and you do the same. And we're all going to go higher together. That's, that's what God wants for us. So here, here's the thing. Revival, the outpouring of the Spirit, the supernatural life, however you want to frame it, all of that, it's got to it's gotta get beyond. I, I said this earlier today. It's got to get beyond an individual touch. If what God doesn't, if what God does in you doesn't affect what happens between you, it's done. You're going to have great stories of things that happen, but there's really no change. A few years ago, the Lord asked me if he, he, I kept feeling him say this, give me three months in July, or three weeks in July, give me three weeks in July, give me three weeks in July. So I asked some of the intercessors, I said, would you go on a fast with me for three weeks in July? They said, yeah, we're in. So we just went after the Lord for three weeks, and I don't remember anything from that time other than anticipating, because there was a bunch of Latinos that were doing that, and they said they're going to make the meal when we break it. Glory. I, I felt the anointing right there. It was awesome. It was real Mexican food. I don't remember anything the Lord did other than this. I'm walking through the living room one day during that fast, and on the TV comes this on the History Channel, this documentary about Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan was a, a, a Mongol warrior. He conquered more territory than any man who ever lived. But they made this interesting observation. They said, even though he ruled over more territory than any man in, in history, when he died, his, the Mongol uh, kingdom just disintegrated. Because they said this, he was a great warrior, but a poor governor. Man, that hit me like a ton of bricks. The Lord spoke to me and he said, that's a lot. He said, there are many wandering revivalists and homeless intercessors who have great stories of battles won, but nothing to leave their children. We have experiences, but nothing of substance to leave our kids. Because we knew how to operate in great power, but we didn't know how to wield authority. We knew how to win battles, but we didn't know how to govern the gains. And it takes a higher level of maturity to govern what you break into than to break into it in the first place. And what that means is that we go from people of character. Character is what happens in you. Culture is what happens between you. Sometimes I'll hear people say, Oh, you know, I have my own personal culture. That doesn't make sense. You don't understand the word culture. Culture demands at least two because culture is mutual. It's, it's what's going on between you. You can have your personal character. You can have a corporate character, but you can't have a personal culture. The word culture comes from the word cult, which means worship, by the way. So it's the idea of your value. What, what, is, what are the things that are very dear to you? What, what, what is your cult? What are the things that you guard and say, this is what, this is very dear to my heart. That's the idea behind cult producing culture, which in turn will cultivate, recultivate that very thing. There's something about culture that becomes self-sustaining. It enables us to replicate it. Culture 
Culture, you could call culture the undertow of leadership. You've got the surface movement for a, you know, the, the, the surface of the water, but there's an undertow that if you create culture as a leader, in your absence, the ship keeps moving forward because there's this pull underneath the surface. The, the, there's, a, there's guiding values that are pulling that thing along. But that takes work. That takes being very conscious. Every organization has a culture. Every family has a culture. But not every organization, not every family has a conscious culture. Often we have, a, we are, we have culture by accident. We have an unconscious culture. And in fact, we have a culture that is at conflict with what we say we really value. Core values are not adopted, they're discovered. You don't have to adopt them. It's already yours, whether you know it or not. And so we need to get in touch with who we are. What, is God, what makes you burn? What makes you happy? What makes you mad? What are, what are you called to give your life to? That's going to shape the culture that you're called to, called to lead. I, I had a friend that used to pastor in this city, and he, he called me one time. He said, he said Dave, I... I I need to ask you something. He said, man, I'm, I'm just struggling with some vision. He said, I, I don't know what, what I need to do next. What, what do you think? I said, let me get back to you on that because I didn't know what to say. So I went to the Lord. I said, God, what do you want me to tell him? And this is what the Lord told me to tell him. He said, tell him to imagine he's no longer in full-time ministry. He's no longer a pastor. He's a dad taking care of a family, a husband taking care of a wife. Now tell him to imagine the church he would want his family to attend. And then tell him that's the church he's called to create. See, it was already within him. And we get, there's these conflicting concerns that these, the, you know, everybody else, what they want. And we can lose, in all of that, we can lose what we're really called to do. And so if we can get in touch with this is, if, if, if you've been, if you're a pastor and you've been pastoring for a few years and you still wouldn't attend your church, if you weren't the pastor and you weren't paid to show up, we got a problem. We got to steer this thing and we've got to give ourselves to this thing to create the church that we would want to attend. So we got to get in touch with what, what, is, what does God have for me? And then that, that becomes like a homing beacon to those who share those values and that there's a culture that is created. But God wants to take us beyond personal encounters where we have stories of great victories. And he wants to establish that into a culture where there's a shared lifestyle that is regenerating those very values. So when you, when you have these values that are burning within you, this, you know, and, and that's going to look different for all of us. Some churches, man, they are intercession. That, that's a big deal to us. But I, I know not every church is supposed to be into intercession like we are. You know, we're, we're, it's just, it's something God's put on us. I know other churches that are, man, they're very much evangelistic. I have to admit, we're, we're not tremendously evangelistic. We don't have evangelistic teams going out all the time. We'll, people will be raised up and then they go start their own thing. They'll start an evangelist. They're not hanging out with us anymore. And that's fine. But our particular calling is these values that God has given us. And when we, when we really begin to camp around those, we attract those kind of people. 
and it reinforces, and those, the culture, your cult, what you really value, produces a culture, shared values, which in turn will create an atmosphere that cultivates those very things, and it becomes self-sustaining. And that's what we need to have. We need, you need to know what has God called you to and create that around you. Give yourself to that thing. And so we've got to move from just having individual encounters to having corporate culture that we share values and that we're camping around those things and we really are pursuing those things. That's where life begins to be generated and there's real momentum in a church. And for pastors, for those of us who are leaders, it can be a challenge because we're, we're trying to lead people who have their own opinions and we don't want to lose them. We love them. They love us. We, we want them to hang with us. And frankly, we need them around because it's, you, you know, unless you're an independently wealthy pastor, uh, and if you are, I'd like to talk to you afterwards. I got a request. Uh, then you need people that are giving and invested in all of that stuff. And the danger is, is that we get pulled out of what our core values are and God gave to us to create, and we get pulled into all these false considerations. We end up getting pulled into all these false considerations of what everybody else wants so that we can retain people. And sometimes the people that leave needed to. I heard one preacher say that everybody has an evacuation system. It's kind of a blunt way. And, and that's, that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that those people are refuse either. You know, sometimes it just matter, it means that some people are with you for a season to be raised up and do other things. And some people are the long-termers. Man, we got, we got some people that I know would take a bullet for me. And they're a gift from God. And I'm telling you, some of these people have seen the worst of me. We've been through some things together. And they had every right to say, this is too hard and leave. But they didn't. Man, those people... But, you know, there's, there's not a lot of those people, and it's not because the other people are wrong and they're the ones that are really doing it right. No, there, there's something about those rare covenantal relationships where they say, I'm with you for life. Some of you have heard Chris Ballatin talk about how he was, he'd been offered this large church. He's served Bill Johnson for over 40 years now, I believe. He could, he could pastor a very large organization. He runs the show out there, Church of 10,000. They've got well over $50 million coming in annually from all their ministry. I mean, it's an amazing organization. But he said, I'm, I'm called to serve Bill. It's an amazing thing for both of them. That's not just a blessing to Bill, but to find that when you have those covenant relationships. That's when things can really be created that are beautiful. So God, God wants to he wants to give, give us something to pour our lives into. Man, I want my kids to have something that I can leave them. And, and it might be a church. It might not be, you know. But I want that something of substance, my kids to be able to say, man, you know, my dad didn't just have great war stories, but he really didn't give me any land. Yeah, he had some great battles. Man, you, you heard my dad, this one story he told. Well, whatever came of that, well, it was a great story. Nothing was really 
establish something of substance in the earth. And so we need to learn to govern from heaven's perspective. And that demands relationships and culture. And uh, so I think this afternoon, we're supposed to land it here. So this afternoon, Christopher is going to uh, teach a session. And then I think I'm going to close with one more just on, along those lines of how do we govern the gains? How do we establish that? How do we go from character to culture? How do we go from my own transformation to securing something that others can enter into? It's not just something that I enjoy. Oh man, God really transformed my life. Is anybody else getting in on that? How do you do that? And there's, there are practical things we can do. There's a price to pay. But man, if you can pay that price, it is such a valuable thing that others can get. And that's what God is really after. And frankly, you know, we talked about apostolic Christianity. That is an apostolic value. It's about creating culture that others can get in on, that they can live on the land you conquered, you paid the price for. So, Father, we just thank you, this, Lord, for this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would just challenge us. Lord, as we go and eat and fellowship, Lord, I pray that you'd bless this time. And Lord, bring us back together. Father, we're asking that you move powerfully this afternoon and tonight. Lord, this short time we have together, we ask that it would be a substantial impact in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you.